This is Health Care Matters on WTIC, News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com. Health Care Matters is a program that delves into health care policy and issues. The hosts are not medical clinicians, and they're not able to offer advice about medical conditions or diseases. You're always encouraged to consult your own medical provider for advice that applies to your own medical care. And now, Health Care Matters, sponsored by Hartford Health Healthcare and hosted by Rebecca Stewart and Elliot Joseph. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Healthcare Matters on News Talk 1080 WTIC. This is Elliot Joseph. I am here on this beautiful Sunday morning with my co-host, Rebecca Stewart. Welcome, Rebecca. Oh, and very good morning to all of our listeners. It is a beautiful day, and we're thrilled that you're going to spend it with us. Yes, at least for a short while. Uh, today, we're delving uh, into a topic that affects more than 40 million Americans. Increasingly, adult children are caring for an aging parent or relative. And as our population continues to age... We're creating a shared human experience among so many of us, uh, and it's more than likely that many of you listening to the show, certainly people here in the studio with us today, myself included, have had this experience, continue to have experience, and it leads in large part to a role reversal that you face with those who've raised you uh, from an infant. So it's a very challenging period of life, and uh, we've got a lot to talk about this morning. We do. This is a tricky time period. If you are a caregiver, then you know full well that there are challenges, emotional challenges, logistical challenges, getting on the same page as siblings. So much to talk about. We have a very special program this morning filled with the experts, and they are here to help guide you, to help offer insight, and to remind you this morning that you are not alone. Right. And we have today with us, we're very fortunate, uh, Sheila Murphy. Uh, Sheila is joining us. Sheila has over 30 years of experience in specialized geriatrics. She's a nurse practitioner in the senior primary care program at Duncaster in Bloomfield, right here in Connecticut. And uh, she's actually going through this with her own mother currently, and she's uh, told us she's willing to share some of her own personal story. Additionally, we have Mark Levesque with us, who is the Senior Resource Case Manager for Hartford HealthCare's Center for Healthy Aging. Mark has a passion in helping seniors and their family members find solutions to whatever problem they may encounter throughout the course of aging. He is the past recipient of the Connecticut Hospital Association Healthcare Hero Award. And later in the show, joining us by phone will be Claudio Galtieri, who is the Associate State Director of Advocacy for the AARP. Claudio represents over 600,000 AARP members, and he's been leading the charge in this outreach initiative focusing on family caregiving. And they actually right now have a big campaign all about caring for the caregiver because there are so many folks who are going through this right now. But a reminder this morning that we are here for you and we want to hear from you. The number that you can call to share your experiences is 860-522-WTIC. That is 860-522-9842. And this morning we are going to begin with Sheila Murphy. And we're starting with this because I want her to frame the conversation. You had a wonderful perspective saying it's really important that we see this time as a gift. Can you take that a little farther for us? Sure, I'd be happy to. 
Um, I have spent 30 years working with older adults and, and helping them get older in a healthy way. Um, changes have occurred with them daily um, from incremental changes to monumental changes as they've gone through. I've seen some adapt really well to the changes and I have have seen others that um, have extreme difficulty in adapting and letting go of their former abilities. I've noticed that families do the same thing through these transitions. They can adapt to the changes in their lives and in their parents' lives, but I know that they need many more resources than they used to have, they even knew were available. I find if you talk early to your parents and talk often about what their goals are, what their plans are, what their purposes for um, later in life, it's going to go a lot better in the end. Now, Sheila, what do you think is so, you know, you spoke with such passion about this to me. What is different about this population? You know, it's a, it's a population that's lived their life and has learned as they go through how to adapt, how um, life changes um, daily and annually. These are people that sometimes saw World War II. And so they bring their own experience into getting older and they're not always um, wanting to give it up, give up their independence as easily as um, the children want them to. But at the same time, at least, and I know with me and I've seen with many other families, it's a time to reconnect with your parents. Um, sometimes as we've gotten older or, or even as children, the um, relationships that we have with our parents is not always, it's been a little wacky. And as you get older, you become an adult yourself and it's easier to talk with your parents. And it's a gift for me to be able to give, give back to them everything that I have been given. There's not a, a time another time in your life where that's going to be able to happen. So let me, let me jump in for a second. Um, coincidentally, uh, I've just been through this myself, uh, where my father who, uh, passed away on April 30th at 94. Um, we had him, uh, uh we were his caregivers, my wife primarily, and then myself, uh, uh, a distant second, admittedly. <laughs> um, and uh, growing up, we had a strained father-son relationship, and it was actually my wife who taught me about the idea of a gift during oh. these last 15 years of his life, mm -hmm. and how we grew so much more close uh, during this last phase of his life, mm -hmm. but it wasn't easy. And in fact, at his funeral, just a short while ago, one of his granddaughters, my sister's daughter, actually talked about how so much had changed for everybody in the family, including my father during this period of time when he actually redefined himself mm -hmm. uh, during this last phase of his life. So it is a highly emotionally charged period. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm sure there are no two circumstances that are exactly alike. No, there aren't any that are exactly alike. And I think that that's one of the reasons we all need to talk about this because we can learn from each other and, um, find out what resources work for each of us. And how remarkable to look at that time and be able to reconnect because chances are when there's a time before any of us remembers, as we know now because we're parents, when you looked at that little baby and you know that they, they, they're they everything to you and none of us remember that. So it mm -hmm. is a chance to sort of find that place again and it sounds like you did. Now Mark, you have been nodding. Um, <laughs> tell us some of your thoughts. No. Not asleep. 
sleep. You mean nodding and agreement, <laughs> right? I just want to clarify. <laughs> nodding, yes. No, I, I'm nodding because um, you know time is so precious for all of us, and we're we're going doing too many things at, at all at the same time. And I think if we take that, make that gift of time just to sit down, to have that conversation, maybe look at an old picture, which is can rekindle old memories. Uh, certainly take time to go to those birthdays, parties, and those anniversaries, and really just take that time out to be with your 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 senior, your loved one, your parent. Um, it's so valuable. And this is not just for parents. This is the primary. Um, that's really what we're looking at mostly. But I've gotten quite a few emails when people knew that this show was coming about because they're taking care of aunts. They're taking care of other loved ones. It's not always parents. And yet, at the same time, we can take on that role. Absolutely. It could be siblings, um, certainly aunts, uncles, um, our extended family. So why is there so much confusion? Why do people, when you know, when they come to this stage of life, think these are very capable people who suddenly think, wow, which way do I go? I'm confused. It, it, it's a very overwhelming time. And again, we're, we're talking about the, the greatest generation. Um, so these folks who are wildly independent, um, had been very successful, grew our country, um, and they're not accustomed be, to be dictated to. Mm. So this is where it's a balancing act for the family members to um, you know, see if there's a need. Um, and really, we focus on safety. Safety is, is paramount. So that, um, that will start the conversation. And then after that, it's a negotiation. You know, what, what are you willing to do? What right. can we do to help you? So let's talk about one of those uh, issues that's related to safety and usually entails quite a significant negotiation, and that is driving. Uh, and for Sheila and Mark, how, how do you assess and advise and counsel people as they deal with that big question? To begin with, I, I talk to the patient or the, the older adult first. And um, generally, if they have an idea of how they're doing, but boy, that's a big um, independent thing that they need to hold on to. So you have to listen to the families and there are um, resources in the state of Connecticut too that we use a lot that will do some driving ex- uh, tests for the client. Do you know can, Do you know the resources offhand? Sheila? Yeah, there's one um, with the Easter sales and there is another one with um, McLean in uh, Simsbury okay. that they actually do, um, uh, they, they put the, the older adult in a simulator to mm-hmm. make sure that they're safe and then they actually put them on the road and they'll give them an, a, a recommendation. And then you have to work with them and try to hope that they can be reasonable about it. Right. Um, and if not, you have to, Go to the Department of Motor Vehicles. There's a, um, another great program that's the Injury Prevention Center, which is a joint effort between Connecticut Children's and Hartford Hospital that also goes to senior center, from senior center to senior center, offering this, really kind of reminding folks. The good news now is that they can point you in those directions that newer cars have so many safety options, like the mirrors that blink and say, hey, there's somebody in your blind spot. Um, that's something that they point toward quite a bit. But getting folks to take those tests seems pretty tricky. Yeah. Mark, how about your uh, perspective on Yeah, this? so I would say that certainly you want to enlist the help of the senior's physician. Um, usually they, they hold those those physicians in very high regard. 
And if you can get the, the doctor on board to make that recommendation, to make that referral to the Easter Seals program, for example, and those reports actually go back to the physician. And then again, it's having a conversation. You didn't do so well on this test. They're saying you shouldn't drive at night. Maybe you're not going to lose your license entirely, but you're going to have some limitations to it. And it's a very tricky thing, as you know better than I do, but certainly my own experience, the risk when you start to strip away some of those things that allow independence, you end up risking social isolation, which mm-hmm. is an equally bad thing. And I'm sure we'll dive into this. I know we have a caller on the line. We sure do. Now, we do want to remind you that this program is for you, and we want to hear from you. You have a chance to speak with the experts, especially if you're going through this. 860-522-WTIC. That is 860-522-9842. And this morning, we have Hillary. Now, Hillary has been going through this with her own father, who is now 93. Hillary, thanks so much for calling. Sure. Um, thanks for having me, and um, thanks for the show, because as I'm listening, I, I actually, uh, yeah, somebody, I think Elliot mentioned social isolation, and I think um, caregivers also feel a little bit isolated, and it's interesting to hear all of your experiences and nodding along, um, especially uh, the, what Elliot said earlier about uh, having a changing of your relationship, and, and certainly for the better. That's, that's also happened with my father um, he's 93. He's lived in Florida for 25 years. That's where he wants to be. Um, I live here in Connecticut. So every time there's a crisis, it's not just running over. It's getting on a plane and flying down. And um, it happens sort of every six months. So he goes from uh, quite well to the ICU in kind of a roller coaster. So um it's difficult um, as as a caregiver, and I'm actually lucky. I don't really even think of myself as a caregiver at this point. He's quite independent, and uh, when he's well, he uh, handles things well on his own. One thing I, I find that's interesting, and maybe uh, someone can comment on this, is I, I am now listed as his power of attorney and his contact, and um, but he is very independent and he is very aware he's absolutely sharper than I am and I find that one of the sources of tension between him and me and him and his his you know the people who take care of him his physicians he's uh, he's in an independent uh, assisted living now is that they'll call me or when we're in a doctor's visit they look at me and talk to me and I have to say talk to him if there's a time that he's incapacitated please talk to me but right now, you and I and all of us can tell he's perfectly capable of making his own decisions. Please ask him, and I'll be the backup. Hillary, everyone in this room is nodding their heads. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Sheila, you uh, want to take on? Well, I, I absolutely agree with you. Uh, that's one of the things that I take pride in is that you have to talk to the person who is involved, and it, it's your dad. Um, your ability to speak up for him and tell the doctor to talk to him and not to me is priceless. And if more people did that, I think um, we'd all be better off. I think that's part of taking away their independence if if you don't look at them when you're speaking to them in an office. So what are yeah. the, what is the language? Hillary, have you actually sat down and said something to that physician or would you recommend that, Sheila? I, I would actually, um, you could either do it in front of your dad or put a, give a note to the nurse before they go in and say it, um, it, you know, shame on them. They should be doing that anyway. Yeah, we make assumptions. I assum- have done it. Yeah, so we make assumptions when we see, a, a, you know, we just look at someone's chronological age and say, oh, they're 80, that, you know, who's going to speak for them? 
But I mean, I've dealt with people, you know, who are 100, 104 years old, who are competent decision makers, who live, you know, wildly, you know, successful, independent lives. They don't need to be calling, you know, a, a, a sibling or, or a, a child to make their decision. So I think it's incumbent on the physician, the care providers to know their patients well enough um, to make to make those decisions and, yeah, and calls. I agree. Did you see that as well, Elliot? Uh I did, and I'm also thinking, and as Hillary mentioned a moment ago, um, this you're going from 100 miles an hour to zero, uh, meaning you know perfectly fine, and then one thing goes wrong, and the next thing you know, they're in the ICU, and there's all these complications and all these mm-hmm. issues that begin to arise with the, both their physical and their their mental um, cognitive abilities, and how quickly that shifts and. You know, and I'm not an expert in aging or geriatrics by any means, but just you know, talking about somebody who's 85 or 90 or 95, um, it's it's a wildly different conversation depending on their status, um, and it and, and it changes so quickly. It's and it's hard for a family, much less the elder person, to get their arms around who am I dealing with and how do I treat them now versus how I was treating them a week ago. And, and part of that I think is to be able to talk before it happens so that when um, your dad is in the ICU, you know exactly what he's going to want to have done and he can count on you to make sure those things happen. But then you can also take the step back when he's speaking for himself. It's, it's a matter of constantly talking and making sure that you are both on the same page. Now, Hillary had actually mentioned earlier that um, if you tell him what to do, he's very resentful and you didn't want to taint the time that you have left. You want it to be meaningful and you want to have that great relationship. Now, Sheila and Mark had some great suggestions and questions that you actually are using right now with your own mother. Sheila, do you mind sort of going through some of those? And this is a great toolbox. Sure. So um, my mom is is quite... Um, quickly gotten very frail. She lives in Ohio with my four siblings, so I'm also a long-distance long caregiver. Um, but being a nurse practitioner, I was given the, the uh, job to talk to her about what her goals are. And we started with, um, what, what is she afraid of? What is she worried that's going to happen to do to her? Um, what is it in her life that she can give up? To adapt, what can she can she give up her car? Can she give up living alone? Um, and what can she not give up? It's so um, special to her that she absolutely cannot give it up. And and what does she want out of life? Because she's everybody at every stage of life needs a purpose. So what is her purpose in life? What does she want for us to do? Um, and then we as a family. I took all of that, and then as a family, we all sat down together with her to try to sort that out. So some of the things that she absolutely could not give up was a car. Well, she's given up the car because she was unsafe driving it. And using the whole family, there I have four siblings, using all of us together to be reasonable with her. And we all have different strengths and different relationships with her. And, you know, she's still a very competent, reasonable woman. Yeah, and I certainly, if, if you're the senior, your mom in this case is competent, um, and, and there's a concern, I think you have to give her a series of options with the status right. quo right. 
of not being one of the choices. So if uh-huh. driving's the issue, you know, mom, these are your options. You can move to assisted living. You can we can get a, a, a driver for you. We can take the dial ride, but we are gonna we are gonna have to give up the car. But you choose what you'd like to do. Mm-hmm. Give them more yeah. control. There's power. a great book that was published recently. I'm sure the two of you are, are aware of it, but maybe our listeners are not. And it's called Being Mortal mm-hmm. uh, by Dr. Atul Gawandi. Mm-hmm. And for those of you who are listening who have uh, parents, elder parents who are alive, um, I would highly recommend uh, that you grab a hold of that book, uh, Being Mortal, because it really gets at this issue of having those conversations early, Mm -hmm. getting clarity, getting agreement, and understanding what your parent wants. And also, I loved that book, and also making sure that um, they have a purpose and we're not just shuffling them off because they're older. Right. So it was an excellent book. I agree with you. Yeah. And such an important perspective. Is Are you going through this? Do you have questions for our experts? We do want to hear from you this morning. That is 860-522-WTIC, 860-522-9842. Taking a look at some of the statistics, sort of setting the scene, how many folks are going through this? Well, right now there are 40.4 million caregivers of adults who are ages 65 and older here in the U.S., nine in 10 are providing care for an aging relative. So who are the folks who are most likely to be caregivers? They are you, if you are listening, ages about 45 to 64. And a lot of times, and Elliot, you had mentioned your wife, a lot of times, nine times out of 10, it's a woman. Right. So let's go at this question about the the very sensitive issue of balancing the emotional the physical and the social needs of the older person. And certainly my own experience, I found the challenge of coordinating all the people who were touching my father as he got older, uh, it was a bigger crowd over time, (laughs) and the need to uh, coordinate what they were trying to do to have him have a safe, relatively healthy existence uh, became an extraordinary challenge because there's so many people touching him. Um, what's your advice and counsel? Yeah, you know, um, Elliot, healthcare certainly historically has uh, been given in silos and has not been coordinated. What we're trying to be is we're trying to be disruptors here and really change the way healthcare is delivered to try to coordinate care in a timely manner. So things like you know what we're trying to do is having an electronic medical system where everyone's on the same page. To having maybe geriatric case managers who can help help with the communication, to help coordinate care, and really help advocate for that senior. Um, so maybe um, the family is ultimately you know, the CEO and the decision maker, but you have someone who really is uh, there day to day, looking at who, where the care is uh, being delivered and how it's being delivered, and escalate concerns as as need be. So describe for us um, the center of healthy aging. Yeah, so the Center for Healthy Aging is a free resource and assessment center for seniors and their caregivers. Um, we're here to, to help navigate healthcare system. We're here to hopefully find solutions to answers. Um, could be as simple as my physician retired, I need to find a new physician. Or maybe I now need help in the home because I'm no longer driving. We talk about meals on wheels, about home safety. Medication safety is a big issue. One of the things that Mark does is actually go to your 
loved one's home to take a look, go through the refrigerator and say, you know what, this isn't safe. We're seeing that everything's expired. This may be a sign of something bigger. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so we can do a comprehensive home assessment. We'll actually go in, spend an hour to an hour and a half and really look for gaps in care. Um, we, we We talk about food, nutrition, how do you get your groceries? Who does the cooking? We talk about uh, if they need bathing assistance. I actually look into the bathroom. I actually want, uh, we sit down, we chat for a bit, and then I ask them to show me where the bathroom is. One, I want to see how they transfer, how do they get out of their chair. Are there fall risks? Because fall, falls are, are significant in this population. And I'll look at their bathroom from a safety standpoint. Um, I, we talk about you know who your physicians are. How do you get to appointments? Really want to determine whether the house is still the best home for that individual. Because it may, in fact, not be. Maybe too big, too isolating, too expensive. So we talk about options. That's where we are. We're, we're there to provide an assessment as well as uh, list off options for them to consider. And if you look historically, how did we get here? Part of the reason is that healthcare is so much better. We are living so much longer, longer in fact. So we're taking care of people well into their 90s. And you said you have some patients who are well into their 100s. That's correct. It's pretty remarkable. Yeah. Are you seeing a, a pattern? It seems to me that 20 years ago, there was more emphasis on institutionalizing older adults. And my sense is that there's becoming more of a pattern about um, the children becoming more active in caring for their aging parents. Is that just something I've made up in my head or is there any data that supports that? So we want to take that question and we are going to return in five minutes (laughs) and we are going to answer that question as soon as we return. You are listening to Healthcare Matters. Welcome back to the show. This is Healthcare Matters. This is Elliot Joseph with Rebecca Stewart. We're talking about the 40 million adult children in our country who are caring for aging parents or relatives and this booming trend that we're all living through. With us this morning is Sheila Murphy, who is the nurse practitioner with the Senior Primary Care Program at Duncaster, as well as Mark Levesque, who is the Senior Case Manager for Hartford Healthcare Center for Healthy Aging. Welcome back, everyone. And we have a caller on the line. We sure do. We have Carol, who is calling now from Newington, I believe. And Carol, you are on Healthcare Matters. Well, thank you very much. This has been a, a very informative program. Um, I happen to have an 86, soon to be 86-year-old mother who is competent, um, very healthy, needs some minor assistance. I don't really think of myself as a caregiver, but I, I guess I am. I take her to doctor's appointments. I put on her compression stockings, uh, change light bulbs as necessary. I live close by. It, that was my intention throughout my life to be close to her and my father before he passed to make sure that they were taken care of. My um, my issue, I guess, that I have the, the most trouble dealing with is my siblings, my three older brothers live away, and I, I, it, there's this overlay of tension whenever they come and they fly in and they say, oh, why isn't she insistent living? Why isn't she doing this? Why isn't she doing that? Well, she's making her own decisions, and I have to reassure them of that. And uh, there's a lot of tension between myself and my siblings when it comes to caring for my mother. I, I'm wondering if the experts have any advice on that, because I'm struggling with it. That is a superb question. Thank you, Carol. Mark? 
So, Carol, I would um, I would encourage you to enlist the help of uh, an impartial party. Um, could be a, a trusted friend, could be an attorney, could be someone like um, from the Center for Healthy Aging, where you can get someone to really uh, do a full overview of the situation with your mom, with her current care, as well as to do some future planning. I'm big of, on doing uh, the what if game. You know, what if you know mom no longer can do the stairs? What if mom can no longer drive? And really think about some of these things um, before they occur, and then. Ultimately, you'll have a family meeting with your siblings to really share, you know, the current state of mom's care um, from not your eyes, but from someone else's who's really impartial, really just looking out for her best interest. Yeah, I want to underscore this notion because certainly my own experience, uh, it's experience of one, but I've heard it from others. Sure. Um, the change in status happens so quickly as they age that when you find yourself steeped in a crisis of the moment and you haven't had those conversations previously, uh, Carol, like you're saying, it, it, the, it, even though your parent is relatively healthy at this point, when the questions become bigger uh, and more urgent, uh, those sibling conversations uh, are, are fraught with risk. Absolutely, and you want, certainly want to make sure um you, mom has advanced directive forms in place, so where she identifies a healthcare representative who can speak on her medical behalf if and and only if she can't do so herself. So that you don't want to have an argument over that when mom's in the hospital. You want to have that set in stone beforehand. And that's something that has come up over and over again. Thank you, Carol. That was a great question. And we are curious to our listeners out there, do you have advice? Is this something that you've experienced? Of course, we want to hear that. We want to hear from you. We want to know what worked for you. 860-522-9842. 860-522-9842. We do want to go to one of our third expert for this hour-long program, Claudio Gualtiero is joining us now from the AARP. So we really appreciate you being on the program. Um, you've done so much work with caring for the caregiver, and certainly there's a lot of caregiver burnout. We see that over and over. Claudio. Hey, Rebecca. Thanks for having me on this morning, and I'm so glad we're uh, moving the conversation also to focus in on the caregiver themselves. Uh, we we talk a lot about the person who is receiving the care, but it's so important uh, that the caregivers and the family members don't lose sight of themselves. So uh, we see this a lot. Uh, 86% of working caregivers report only fair or poor help. So uh, we try to make sure wherever possible that uh, family caregivers pencil in time for themselves uh, because when you're taking care of yourself, Oftentimes, you're able to come back renewed to the responsibilities of caregiving with the energy that you've relieved of some of the strain, and you're able to really take advantage of the good parts of caregiving, the passion, the love uh, of connecting and helping your family members. And so, um, Claudia, you were saying this is not frivolous. This is actually really important. Yeah, uh, critically important uh, because in Connecticut, especially every time AARP kind of pulls and takes a pulse of family caregivers, um, our healthcare system is relatively strong and robust compared to other states. But one area that we seem to always be lagging in is the reported level of anxiety and stress uh, of family caregivers, uh, lack of sleep, uh, anxiety, constant, uh, a lot of things in our mind. So a couple strategies that, that we recommend is making sure you're taking a break. And how can you do this? Well, one, one thing we hear a lot from family caregivers is, well, I feel guilty taking time for myself. So some of the ways uh, we, we recommend that you consider 
making sure there's time for yourself is to schedule it and make it purposeful. So one of the first things is if you plop it on your calendar, there's a more likelihood that it's going to get done than if you just say, well, I'll get to it eventually. So pick a day, pick a time, pick an activity. And Claudia, on the Cla- Claudia, if I may, does it have to be a trip to Tahiti or could it be something <laughs> a, a lot simpler? I'm a big fan of Tahiti, but it could be even a five, ten minute coffee break, a moment of meditation. It's as much or as little as you can give, but just making sure that during the day there's that time for you. Um, and some people actually, that's a great point. It's like what type of activities? Well, uh, a lot of times we find if it's an activity that's considered productive, uh, it may be a volunteering, uh, volunteer at your church for, for just an hour, uh, or a half hour if, that, if that's what you have, or doing a class. Um, a lot of times something purposeful and productive like that, um, deals with the guilt issue because me, then you're doing something good. You're helping someone else out. You're, you're using your time effectively. So let me ask a question though, because I'm looking at some of the statistics around this question and, the, and they're really fascinating and a bit overwhelming. More than half of our caregivers, 51% say they do not have time to take care of themselves mm-hmm. and almost half say they're too tired to do so. So here we are suggesting do something else in addition to what you're already doing. How, I mean, it's, it's, I'm not trying, I'm, I, how do we help people get over that sense of they've lost control? Great point. I, I'd yeah. open that up to any yeah, of well, our... You know, um, it takes a village sometimes, mm-hmm. um, Elliot. So I think you do need to enlist help um, from friends and families um, to give yourself some respite time. You may want to join a support group for that emotional support as well as learning some real-life practical skills. Um, you may want to consider programs like adult day or even senior centers where you can make, you can be ensured that your loved one is safe and secure while you're, you're not there. And then ultimately you may want to hire some professional help to get a home health aide to come in. Um, and there is funding if, if finances are an issue, there is funding help out there, whether through the state, through the veterans, through the Alzheimer's association. So there is help out there. You just, you just have to ask. You know, and I want to ask to the group as well, to our experts, we had our producer who was in here was talking a little bit about his own experience with a, with a grandfather in the family who just said no to everything, to every outreach. Um, certainly We've seen that in all aspects. What do you do to the person who says no? Well, this is probably a guy who has been saying no all his life. Mm. And that's what we finally decided. You know, you could use um, what I try to do is try to identify how they have adapted to changes in the past. This is we were talking about a, an illness that came on that he wasn't wanting to follow through on the therapy. Um, and But if that's how he has always been, we're not really going to change him now. If he's safe, as Mark said, I think that's what's important. Got he's it. probably not going to be as mobile as he wants to be because he's not following through, but that's how he's always been. Yeah, this gets back to understanding what his desires exactly. are, what's most important to him versus what might be most important mm-hmm. to me. Or to his physician or caregiver. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And going back to caring for the caregivers, you know, I remember so vividly, this was years ago now, but I remember uh, my grandmother aging 10 years in the year and a half that my grandfather was sickest. And I think that is something, but if you had said, go to a painting class, there isn't anyone in the world who could have gotten her to do that, to Elliot's point. So how do we make sure that it's almost got to be ingrained earlier? Claudia, how does the AARP look at this question? 
Yeah, so one of the great things is around some activity that you have to do anyway. So we've started to do these careversations uh, around the state where caregivers, they don't have to sign up to come every week or every month, but if they just want to pop in and there's one in their town, they could be hosted at a, a local library or a, a, a restaurant in town, and it's a small 10, 15-person gathering and people around a meal. So you would have to eat anyway, and uh, the meal's provided for you and you usually get leftovers to bring home, so you save a little bit of cooking time uh, for another time during the week. And it's just an opportunity to take some stress off and just share the pearls of wisdom because one of the important things to remember is every caregiving experience is so unique, so not one person will have every answer for you. But collectively, when we're listening to peers going through the same experience, there are those pearls of wisdom we can pull from one another because chances are, we all have one or two tips or resources we can share with the group. So you're getting real practical information you can use at the moment you need it. Uh, we're, you're taking care of having to eat anyway and just being with other people and being heard is part of, uh, part of the relief. And this is for our listeners. Do you have pearls that you would like to share with us? Because we'd like to hear them. 860-522-WTIC, 860-522-9842. Sheila, you had wanted to say something. Well, I just want to underscore what Claudio said. Um, I can't tell you how many patients that we've cared for um, and helping the families try to navigate these difficult waters and getting a lot of, no, I can't have, I can't do that. I, grandma won't let me do that. I, we, we shouldn't do that. And then when they finally make that move of having a caregiver come in for two hours once a week so that the wife can go out, everybody to a person will say, why didn't I do this earlier? So as Claudio said, if you get together with caregivers who are doing this just like you are, I think you're going to get those little pearls all the time and not have to be feeling like you're alone in this big ocean. Yeah. And I think it's important that, um, you know, we're not asking for big things. We're saying, try this for a short period. Try Mm -hmm. this, try this one or two times to have a caregiver come in. Try Meals on Wheels three times a week. Mm Mm-hmm. Maybe do a short respite stay at an assisted living. Just try it. it if it doesn't work out, that's fine. And, and it, it's it's uh, less finite that way. Yeah, less try final. it is a good, try, just try it. That's interesting because I remember talking with one of our callers earlier in the day. She said, you know, she didn't want to be the dictator who told her father, who was so established, well-educated, someone she so admired, she didn't want to say, you will do this. Mm-hmm. Um, she thought it would put a real strain on their relationship. Your thoughts? Yeah, she um she probably does need to take a step back. I mean, she acknowledged that dad was competent. She's a distant caregiver. Uh, I think she has to be there for when you know the situation does change, his condition changes. But um, I think dad probably can care for himself, and maybe she just needs to have someone you know feet on the ground in Florida that can just be her eyes and ears as things change. That then she can increase her her level of of care. And I agree with that. I think also you need to make sure that the older adult knows what burden they are putting on other people. So it's okay if if dad wants to stay in Florida, but does he understand how this long distance relationship is, our our caregiving is happening? Um, Sometimes they just don't see how everyone else is giving things up to make sure that they get what they want. And maybe it's fine. Maybe you want to give it up so that mom can stay at home. Yeah, we have that conversation a lot with those uh personal emergency response buttons, those lifeline buttons. Yes, yeah. It's like, well, I don't need that. That's what the senior says. Like, you're right, you don't need that. 
Week. But your daughter needs it and your son needs yes. it because they concern when they're not with you that maybe you've fallen and you can't get up and you yes. need that assistance. So Exactly. One of the interesting things that I, I experienced with my own father and I've talked to others who've had similar experiences is this notion of self-awareness. So, you know, my dad would often say to me, you know, I'm, in a, I'm living in a, an assisted living center with all these old people. <laughs> you know, they're just too old for me. Mm-hmm. You know, he might have been one of the older ones there, but he just <laughs> couldn't get his head around his position. Mm-hmm. Um, that was good news and bad news, right? How do you deal with what's your advice and counsel when it comes to, when you're facing that 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 question? I think it's helping them to see their new body, their new person. You, it's a part of adapting to change as you get older. Um, the people that get older most successfully are the people that adapt well. So they they fall periodically, so now they use a walker. Some people say, I will never use a walker. Well, they're going to continue to fall and get more debilitated as they go. So it, I, it's funny to me when um, people say, I'm, I'm too, those are all old people, I can't have dinner with them. Oh, Claudio, you were weighing in. We'd love your perspective. Yes, and, and so I think it's also important to break off the, the pieces so that, for example, if, if they're aging in a, in a way that makes driving a car independently difficult, uh, even around local, just getting around town, um, it may not be elevating and just immediately taking away the keys or, or putting very restrictive uh, times on when and how far they can travel, but instead making sure they're connected to local resources so that if they need to get somewhere, they can use public transportation or dial ride. The decision then to drive less or not drive at all, it doesn't mean they're cut off from the things they love to do in their community and their ability to travel and be mobile and, and not be stuck at home. So the independence doesn't have to go. Uh, so I think it's important to try to craft alternatives. So uh, if something's not possible, but the satisfaction someone gets from doing that activity can be achieved with some assistance or through a different method, uh, we should look to get to that. And I do want to remind people of the resources that are available. There are phone numbers to call one eight seven seven four aging one. That is a resource that can help folks. You can head to hhcseniorservices.org, which is you're talking about, gets you to Independence at Home, the Centers for Healthy Aging. So many different resources. And one of the things that Claudio had had reminded us is that there is no one agency that perhaps could do it all. So it's okay to ask around. Ask Ask your friends, ask ask folks what worked for them because there are answers out there and we don't want people to always feel so confused as they're navigating these waters. Yeah, and Rebecca, if I can just uh, piggyback on that. Uh, some of the things, some of the advice I try to give families that I come into contact with is, one, talk to a real person, insist, call back. Uh, you'll be, a lot of times these will lead to a voice message or another referral talk to a real person that can help you. And once you get to a chain of talking to people, keep a notebook, Uh, make sure you're writing down the contact information, who you spoke with, what their advice or next step was, what form did they give you to fill out? You never know when you're going to have to refer back to that. So it's so helpful to keep as detailed of a notebook uh, as you're navigating the system. And uh, the other thing I would say is to make sure that, to the extent that you have a lot of questions, be very specific, concrete, and think of them in advance. So when you do get that lucky break and you get someone live on the phone who is, like, 
great. They really know their stuff, and they're willing to help and give you the time that you can ask all your questions and get the most detail that you need out of it. So just some practical tips of navigating the system, which is, uh, unfortunately, a source of uh, a lot of stress. And I'm interested from each of you, your, your words of advice to the caregiver when they hit that moment where um, their judgment about what's in the best interest of their aging parent um, is uh, in, in the better interest of that aging parent than maybe what the aging parent is thinking. Mm, and you hit that moment, and how do you cross that threshold? Uh, anybody want to take that question? I'll say I think it needs to start long before that moment comes, mm. and I think you need to start that conversation very early. Mom, what do you want me to do if I feel that, the, that you're unsafe? Or what if you get dementia? And how would you like me to care for you from there? And then there's not a lot of decision-making because you already know what she would want. Excellent. I think that's wonderful advice. Yeah, have that discussion early and often. And early. most of us don't want to have that discussion, right? I think that's an even tougher conversation. So earlier we had done a program really about end-of-life care, and we were talking more specifically about those true end-of-life. This is almost a more difficult conversation, largely because of what you were talking about, Elliot, with your own experience with the roller coaster and coming back, being in the ICU, making those decisions, and then coming back and being absolutely great for a year. Right, because you, you want to believe that things are going to get better. Mm-hmm. Right, as as the child of an aging parent, uh, so having those conversations causes you to come to recognition. It's not going to. And I think uh, um, some caregivers, some children, think that they should parent their parents, and it's impossible because the parents have um, all their own preconceived choices and beliefs. Um, I think you have to work with them throughout the whole process to make sure you do what they want. And it really does make it easier for you if because they've already told you what they want. And so you are the executor. Yeah, and I think you have to have that conversation. Um, a little flip of turns. Yeah. <laughs> she had to laugh a little. Go on, Mark. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, you, you, you take opportunities when it comes up in discussion. Oh, mm-hmm. you know, Uncle Bill's in a nursing home. What do you think about nursing homes? Mm-hmm. Um, or, um, you know, someone is going into an assisted living do you know anything about assisted living? So it's not just we're going to sit down, we're going to talk about nursing homes, assisted living, and prepaying your funeral, because that's probably not going to go over well. But I think you take those those opportunities when they present themselves to weave those discussions in. Yeah, break it up in pieces. I, I like that term was great. Claudio. I think it's also about paying it forward. So the caregivers living the experience now can do their children and loved ones the great benefit of knowing what peace of mind they had if their loved one had an advanced directive or a will and some discussions and and plans in place. So if they're going through it and they sense a lack of instruction from their loved one, they should pay it forward and take that moment and say, hey, you know, I don't even have an advanced directive for me. I haven't gone through my plans and what I'd like to think about and and what type of living environment I'd like to have in in my later years. So uh, it's a good self a moment of self-reflection and to figure out, well, what can I do to take steps so that my children don't find themselves in the same situation without enough guidance? Absolutely. So if I'm having those conversations with my aging parent, what kinds of questions do I ask him or her? What, what, what do I, how do I phrase these questions? 
I like what Mark was saying. Well, you know, Uncle Joe's in the nursing home now. What do you think of that? Mm -hmm. What do you think um, you would want if it came to that, um, if you needed that sort of care? And if you needed somebody in the home, what kind of person would you want? Um, what, w- how far would you be able to give up things in order to stay home? Um, and do you realize that sometimes this, um, you may become more isolated, as Mark said, and is that okay? And what if you couldn't get to church? What would we do then? And, right. you know, having the resources that Mark's group provides, and actually all over Connecticut, I think you need to be able to say, as you said, so when when these things happen, we've already got a, uh, somebody who can drive Miss Daisy, and we don't have to isolate you just because you lose your car. Right, right. Claudio, how about you? What's your advice there? Yeah, I think using also trusted uh, resources. So sometimes a lot of people trust their doctors and or their nurses, their medical professionals, and um, having conversations with the medical professionals to help set up and provide the foundation to kind of ease into the conversation, to start hinting at it and providing the seeds for um, having a more in-depth conversation can work really well, too. I think lawyers are really good with this as well, Mm. if they're trusted lawyers. And making those recommendations early on and really making sure, Mark, you were saying that people are there, there are resources there, and don't feel that you are in it alone. Go ahead, Mark, please. No, no, there are absolutely the resources. You you just have to... um, to make the call, to um, to reach out to folks who can help you navigate and allow you to, to at least know what your options are. And they are all out there. We've had a great conversation this morning. Yeah, this is a booming trend uh, across America, and I do believe that uh, the patterns are shifting for all the right reasons from less institutionalization, more care in the home, more care by the family, um, but that also complicates matters uh, greatly um, as we get involved and we're just appreciative of the expertise and the perspective and the tools and resources that are out there and certainly as those represented by our guests this uh, this morning and if you do have questions and want to follow up do be sure to visit hhcseniorservices.org for resources this has been healthcare matters This has been Healthcare Matters, sponsored by Hartford HealthCare. Tune in next month as we continue to discuss the status of healthcare, determine what works and what doesn't, and work to bridge the gap. Healthcare Matters on WTIC, News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com. We're healthy, you're healing.